Hello, 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 everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pin Lives Opinion Outreach Editor, and this is Battleground PA. Yes, we're still, it seems, fighting for the presidential election 2020, but uh, we'll have some different takes on this today as we welcome uh, an expert in constitutional law and elections, Michael Mino uh, from Widener Law School. And uh, he'll join Rajette Harris and Jeffrey Lord, our trusted analyst, in just a moment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Battleground PA, a Penn Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, we are back, and yes, we are taping this episode of Battleground PA on Facebook Live. We are glad to have you joining us, and we welcome your questions and your comments. But we're going to get started now. I want to first welcome our guest, and that's Michael Domino, who is an expert in elections and in constitutional law, and he is a professor at Widener University School of Law. How are you, Michael? Good, nice to have you here with us. Fine, Joyce. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thanks for, for agreeing to join us at the last minute. We we're trying to figure out we need someone who actually knows this stuff and you were willing to step up. So thank you for that. And of course, let me welcome, oh, Jeffrey Lord. How are you, Jeffrey? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. You're doing just fine. You still have that that fighting spirit, right? You bet. All right. And Rajette Harris, how are you today? I'm great. All right. Excellent. So, okay, let's get started. Look, um, there are millions of people who want to say president-elect, and it seems like there are millions of others who don't. And it looks like we still have a contested election, at least in the minds of some. So where I want to go now is what's going on in this battleground? Have we resolved this or have we not? Jeffrey, let's start with you. We have not resolved it. We uh, have not. Okay. The, the hearings in Pennsylvania, the hearings in Arizona, hearings in Michigan. Uh, let me just give you one sample. You, as you know, I write, I'm a contributing editor at the American Spectator. One of my colleagues there is Paul Kenger, who is a professor at Grove City College. And uh, he wrote this lengthy article about the Pennsylvania hearings the other week. And and just I'll just read you one sentence from the piece he wrote. An expert testifying to the Pennsylvania Senate flagged a batch of ballots that recorded some 570,000 votes for Joe Biden and only 3,200 for Donald Trump. Now, statistically, that is crazy. And the other thing I would like to point out, which I pointed out in a piece of my own, one of the experts on this is Dr. Navid Kashveras Nia who the New York Times, uh, long before all of this began, uh, cited in some, with something that had nothing to do with this and said he's one of the smartest people in the room uh, as a data analyst. He's worked for the CIA, the NSA, the DIA, et cetera. And he says, and I'm going to quote him directly here, I conclude with high confidence that the election 2020 data were altered in all battleground states, resulting in hundreds of thousands of votes that were cast for President Trump to be transferred to Vice President Biden. These alterations were the result of systemic and widespread exploitable vulnerabilities in various softwares that enabled operators to achieve the desired results. 
Okay. All right. Jeffrey, I can't let you go on and on and on and on, but I think you've made your point. Okay. You believe that there's still reason beyond reason to say that there's a problem. Even though Jeffrey, honestly, the rest of the rest of the world is kind of ready to to call it an election. Oh, yeah. Jet, why don't we bring you in here? You want to respond to any of Jeffrey, and then I'm going to bring Michael in to kind of tell us, sitting back as a law professor, what does he think? But go ahead, Rajet. Well, states continue to certify their votes. Um, I think the biggest breaking news was yesterday. U.S. Attorney uh, General uh, Barr came out and said that there was no widespread fraud in the presidential election. And he is definitely someone that Trumpsters or Republicans can say is in love with the Democrat Party or Joe Biden. He's been very, very loyal to the president um, and has really executed his agenda. But even he's coming forward and saying that there has not been any widespread fraud. Now, obviously, he's saying investigations can still take place. Um, but I think it's going to be hard to argue with the with the top law officer of the country, one of which was not only appointed to, but works very closely with uh, President Trump to say that there was widespread fraud. Yep. So I think he really closed the deal on this issue for for the country. Michael, I want to bring you in here because you really have some expertise to be able to to kind of weigh this. I mean, a person here just looking at this and just trying to figure it out is saying, what is going on? What is the right thing for our country? What is happening? Do you want to weigh in on this and tell us how you're looking at this? Only that it, it makes sense to keep calm about this. We have a process rather than just uh, talk about what might have happened. We have a court process where you make allegations, you bring in evidence, we have judges who determine what the facts really are, and we have time. No matter what happens, no matter what the result of the election was, no matter what the ballot total was going to be, election day uh, is in November. The, The electors aren't going to cast their ballots until December 14th. And the new president or the the current president won't have inauguration day until January 20th. So whether there's a concession, whether there's a certification, whether XYZ person says that the race is over or is not over, inauguration day is not going to be until January 20th regardless. So let me ask you this. Senator Cruz, Ted Cruz of Texas, uh, apparently he's calling for um, some sort of Supreme Court of uh, uh, decision to de- looking at maybe striking down what's happened in, in Pennsylvania and other places, you know, and, and especially striking down mail in votes. Is that something you think has any credence, Michael? Uh, well, the lawsuit that he's talking about specifically is the one brought by Congressman Mike Kelly, which alleges that Act 77 violates, uh, well, the, the core is that it violates the Pennsylvania Constitution, and then the the allegation to get to the U.S. Supreme Court is that because it violates the Pennsylvania Constitution, it, it interferes with the federal constitutional right to vote, or that there's some uh, federal constitutional problem there. Um, now, there is a, a... It has a lot of credence in, in the core of what it's saying, that the Pennsylvania Constitution says that absentee voting shall be permissible in four circumstances. Well, the Pennsylvania legislature passed Act 77, which basically allows absentee balloting for everybody. 
And so there's a pretty good argument that that's inconsistent with the with the Pennsylvania Constitution. The biggest problem that the challengers have is in explaining why now is the right time to bring that challenge. That had that challenge been been brought immediately after Act 77 was passed, I think it would have a more receptive audience than it has had so far. Well, that's the question I think many people are looking at this. Why? Um, and didn't Republicans also vote for this? I mean, in the legislature, didn't they also vote to have mail-in ballots? And aren't we in an unusual time where I, people like me weren't going to go and stand in any line? We wanted to be able to have a safe way to cast our elections. I mean, Rosette, you want to weigh in here? That's correct. This was a bipartisan bill. Uh, both sides met and they made uh, a deal. That's why uh, we don't have straight party voting anymore. That's something that the Republican Party asked for in exchange for having uh, mail-in voting for this election. The Democrats' uh, party succeeded to that. Uh, the governor did. So this was a bill that was bipartisan. I also think it's important to bring up that although these court cases are supposed to be judged, obviously, by merit by the judges, I think it's important to bring up that all of these lawsuits that the Trump campaign has been filing or the state Republican Party has been filing here in Pennsylvania have been shot down by judges appointed not just by Democrat, former Democrat presidents, but some of them were also appointed by President Trump. So I think it's important to look that when you look at the merit of these cases, these cases aren't getting anywhere by any any of these judges, regardless of who they were appointed to. What so I do think that the goal all along was to get this to the U.S. Supreme Court from the very beginning, though. That's always been the goal. The question is the path to get it there, and they haven't been able to find their path yet. We'll have to see if this is it. I, I, I do think it's a question of which path, but I do think one of them will get there. I don't know which one, but I'm fairly sure confident one of them will. Michael, do you agree? Do you think this is going to end up in the U.S. Supreme Court? Oh, I, I don't know that I'd predict which way the U.S. Supreme Court is, is going to go on the question of whether to take up these cases or not. The one that Senator Cruz is talking about is pending there right now. And the uh, in election cases, the Supreme Court doesn't wait around. It understands the time pressure. And so I'd imagine that we're going to have an answer one way or another about whether the court's going to take it within a very short time. Okay. When you say short time, just a, are we thinking a week? I mean, because I, I would think a week at the most. The, the December 14th uh, uh, Electoral College deadline is a pretty hard deadline. And even before then, December 8th, the so-called safe harbor of uh, 3 U.S.C. Section 5 is uh, is one that's typically respected by the courts. And so I, I would be shocked if it if there if this was prolonged. That elapsed between the uh, between Election Day and the Supreme Court decision in Bush v. Gore was 37 days. So we're not quite there yet, but we're getting close. All right, so so this raises really a very interesting thing. If indeed we would be looking at the Supreme Court uh, taking up an issue that could impact whether voters, you know, whether they will be enfranchised or disenfranchised, uh, this could really have some serious repercussions on on at least people's confidence in American democracy and the voting system. Uh, and I know for you, think we shouldn't have confidence anyway, right? But 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 I guess what I want to discuss, and we'll take a little bit of a break here. What I want to discuss is 
when it gets there, do we expect some judges to recuse themselves? Do we, are we worried about perceptions of, um, you know, bias or lack of objectivity because of who appointed them? So stay tuned. I know we'll be right back to take up this question of if the Supreme Court gets it, then what? We are Battleground PA. We are taping this podcast as part of our Facebook Live this morning. And uh, if you want to join us, you can do so by sending an email to topic at battlegroundpa.org. Or, of course, you can join us here right here on Facebook or on Twitter at Battleground PA. So I'm going to start with you, Michael. Michael, it could end up with the Supreme Court taking a look at this whole thing, at least with regard to whether people like me should have been able to vote by mail. Uh, and so have you, when you look at this, do you see the possibility that one or two judges might recuse themselves? There's always the possibility, but I rather doubt it. The, the Supreme Court and, and other courts, too, have, uh, have a policy of recusing themselves when they are personally connected to the, the outcome of the litigation or to the parties. But simply because they've been appointed by a president who is involved in the litigation has never been thought to be enough for a recusal. Um, you might remember that this flap happened a few years ago when uh, Justice Ginsburg made some kind of comment about how much she disliked uh, President Trump, mm -hmm. didn't yeah. want him to, to be elected. And uh, then there was some cry that that she and Justice Sotomayor should recuse themselves from Trump-related cases, and they didn't. And I wouldn't expect that there'd be any recusals from the Republican-appointed justices just because uh, Republicans are now in the position of, of being the challengers in this litigation. Well, Rosette, I mean, looking at this, how do you think that your voters are going to feel? <laughs> Go ahead. The only judge uh, that I think I feel there will be controversy around is Judge Barrett. The new, the newly, the newest um, appointed judge, not because she was nominated uh, by President Trump, but because when she was chosen, President Trump, again, we know he he likes to talk, uh, <laughs> but he gave his intentions away when he openly said uh, that he hoped that if he lost the election on November third, that his lawsuit would get to the court and that the court would overturn the election. He was very open about his his hopes, his wishes um, with this election and nominating Judge Barrett. Uh, so she is the only judge that I feel that half of the country would like to recuse herself, not because she was a, a nominated by Trump, but because of his intentions on nominating her. Right. Jeffrey, you want to weigh in here? I, uh, Belinda's saying all people who interfered with the president's election should be charged with fraud, and then it's time with a national voter ID. Here's the real problem I see with the Supreme Court, and it's not Justice Barrett, it's Chief Justice Roberts. Um, if you recall in his decision on Obamacare, uh, apparently his reasoning was he was concerned that the court be perceived as taking a political side and he was concerned about the image of the court and all of that kind of thing. Um, I, I respectfully, and, and I was asked at the time of his nomination to run around America and give speeches and meet with editorial boards in support of him, but I've been disappointed. And, and the reason for my disappointment is I think that 
it's the job of a judge and most notably a Supreme Court justice to interpret the Constitution. It's not to worry about the image of the court one way or another. But alas, I think that is what goes on with him. And so I would be a little skeptical about uh, a, a decision coming in the president's favor for that reason. Ah, okay. Well, let me let me tell you what I I, I showed you one uh, what Belinda said, but uh, Kathy is saying we certified Trump needs to get over it. Uh, Belinda says no more of this banana republic where ballots magically appear or disappear. I guess I don't know. Uh, Wes says certified scam election. Um, Bob says the servers have been removed with all the evidence on them. Why? So you see that there. I mean, the concern that I have is what this is doing to American democracy and to uh, the confidence of Americans in that. Look, um, I just have to tell you, if you, if we had a problem with getting voters to the polls, and I, I think it's something that we need to talk about with regard to Georgia, if you really think it's a scam system, why should I even bother? I mean, really, why should I even bother to cast my vote? If I can't trust either the Democrats or the Republicans, because all of those election poll watchers are, are, are con artists. I mean, Michael, are you at all concerned about what this means to average voters? I think that, yes, the answer is is yes, that I'm concerned about the public confidence in American elections, both among Americans and among the rest of the world. I'm concerned about the perception of the Supreme Court, as, uh, as the other commentators have said already, that... Uh, however, we end up uh, in the end on this election, it's certainly the case that there are going to be millions of people who have uh, very little confidence in in the integrity of of the vote counting or the vote uh, casting process. And I think that that's a shame. It, it looking from the outside, it, it seems very much like how in the world can this be the world's premier democracy, and we can't count ballots. It, it seems rather ridiculous. And there's very little that someone like me can say to, to, to counter that. I can't come up with a good answer either. It seems like, like this is not, uh, not such a complex, complex task, but we shouldn't be able to do a better job than we're doing. You would think, and here's the thing too, I mean, you've got, I mean, if you can't trust and hear what the Attorney General of the United States says, now we have saying bar is a joke. I mean, this was someone who stood by the president. He's a loyal Republican. He was a loyal Trump. Oh. Wait, wait, let, let me just get it out. <laughs> let me just get it out. He says they have not even looked at the evidence or interviewed whistleblowers. So, I mean, go ahead, Jeffrey. You, you were talking about well, to say something. Go ahead. What seems to be missed with the attorney general's comments is they haven't done an investigation. So you can't say the investigation doesn't count until you've done the investigation which the Justice Department has not done. Um, I, I think he's being wildly misinterpreted uh, here with his comment. All right. Regette, uh, you, you've already commented on this, but did you want to add anything? I mean, I, I, about really what this is likely to do to the voters, just this whole process of continuing to question something once it's been certified. But voters have never trusted the system. Um, so I would argue this is nothing new. I, it could be it's worse now. But I think a lot of that has to do with the misinformation on social media. There's a lot of information out there that's inaccurate on both sides. And people, unfortunately, believe everything they see and that they read on your Facebooks and your Twitters and your YouTubes. Everyone's an expert nowadays. 
And I think that's a general problem with society as well. It's, I know everything, so you have to agree with me. So to be honest, regardless of proof on on either side, there's been no proof that there's been widespread fraud, um, but people are going to believe that that there is, uh, just because that's what they want to believe. Um, I know I kind of made a joke last week that, you know, uh, the Jeffries of the world are going through the stages of grief right now um, and still in the denial uh, phrase, <laughs> phase. But if I'm being serious, I do think we, we're going to have a problem um, bringing people together at the end of this election because we're in a society today where people want what they want. They believe they know everything regardless of what evidence is is given. Well, let me just say, Joyce, uh, in the course of the last few days, beginning with Thanksgiving, I have had a reminder of why it is I never wanted to be a lawyer, because I have sat here and diligently read through the Pennsylvania lawsuit, the Georgia lawsuit. I've read through the testimony of witnesses. The evidence is there. All you have to do is read, 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 which quite admittedly, a lot of people don't want to do. But Jeffrey, I guess I guess my question to that is the lawyer, the president has had some great lawyers. I'm assuming unless they're incompetent, they haven't been able to produce what's needed in the court of law to get a conviction. I mean, to get anybody. To, I mean, well, I don't think I don't. I don't what? I don't think that that's over. But let me let me move. But, but what we have done so far has gotten you nowhere. That's my concern. Well, but but Joyce, that's the way of American jurisprudence. I mean, all right. Well, how let's long did how long did it take for civil rights cases to work their way to what should have been, say, you know, Brown versus Board of Education? It took years, years, oh, years. But can I interject here real quick? Yeah, go ahead. One, you know, there, but in the civil, with the civil rights cases, it was obviously easily proven that there was discrimination against African-Americans and other racial minorities. Let's take Georgia, for example. There was a recount and an audit in Georgia. And yes, that did show some disparities, but not enough to turn the election, to switch the election. Roger, and even right. with this lawsuit with Pennsylvania, for argument's sake, and I say this other week, every week, but I, I have yet to get a response to it. Say Pennsylvania would switch and go to Trump. He still loses the presidency. Where are you going to get those other electoral votes from? Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Michigan. But there's already been a, a recount and an audit in Georgia. You want to keep doing it until it, it magically if, if appears. You recount the ballots in the same fashion and not account for the technological fooling around of the ballots and thousands of ballots, et cetera, that have gone missing, then you're going to get the same result. Oh, well, Michael, I'm going to bring Michael in here. Michael, if you've been looking at these cases, uh, I mean, shouldn't something have um, unco been uncovered with the with the legal challenges? I mean, shouldn't that have brought some credit to this uh, challenges of fraud? I mean, well, there have been some successes that the Trump campaign has achieved legally. Uh, uh, sometimes the courts have different courts have reached different conclusions on the same kind of issue. But there was some some success about the poll watchers in Philadelphia. There was some some success in the lawsuit about the Secretary of State allowing the ID to be presented after the statutory deadline. So there are some things where the Republicans have pointed out that the administration of the election has not uh, been consistent with the legal requirements. Uh, Rajet's point is that 
that those victories aren't nearly enough to tip the balance in Pennsylvania. And even if Pennsylvania does flip the other way, that the presidential race is not different. And, and Jeffrey agrees with that, that there would have to be more flipped than just Pennsylvania. But there are, of course, allegations in other states as well. I think that uh, that that there have been problems that have been identified. The the uh, the obstacle is in showing that that the result of that is so significant as to flip at least two states and to disenfranchise millions of voters. That's the, the key. Well, but there's, and there's, and there's, to attack a, the whole democratic system. <laughs> but go ahead. Well, but there's a. In some ways, that's assuming the the conclusion that right. if you say that the point that we're disenfranchising voters, you're assuming that those voters should have counted in the first place. Right. And right. if you're saying uh, you can flip it the other way, should we uh, should we should we count votes that shouldn't be there? It's, it's just the, no. What I'm saying really is very well, it's very clear count. that that uh, we were told we could vote a certain way, and Republicans and Democrats both signed off on my being able to send in a mail-in ballot. And you're going to tell me after the election is over that my vote now doesn't count. No, I'm saying every, every legal vote should count. No, but but yes. you would be saying yes. my mailed-in vote. What the challenge is is that they shouldn't count mail-in votes. And mine was a mail-in vote. It, yeah, but if, if your vote turned up after the election, it shouldn't no, count. No, we're not talking about if. We're talking about mail-in votes. I mean, don't keep throwing all of that stuff. No, what no. I'm concerned about is good people looking at this, we were told what we're supposed to do. Everybody seemed to be on the same page. We do it, and then afterwards you tell us. That's the time. But look, we can argue about this all day. Let's move on, because I do want to get to the pardon issue. That's out there, and we really need to talk about it. The president has already issued one pardon. And I'm assuming, Jeffrey, you think that's just fine. So you want to talk about whether you envision he's going to continue this pardoning before he leaves office, if he leaves office, Jeffrey? Presidents have been doing this forever. You do recall, I'm sure, that Bill Clinton pardoned Mark Rich and a whole batch of other people right before he left the presidency. Um, presidents do this. It's their, it's their constitutional right, and they do it as they see fit. Michael Flynn should never have been prosecuted in the first place. And I find it very amusing that shortly after the election, the Biden people announced that they were reaching out to all these foreign leaders. <laughs> well, that's exactly what Michael Flynn was doing, and they prosecuted him for it. So who amongst Joe Biden's staff is going to go to pr- prison now or be prosecuted? The answer is they shouldn't be. This was just this was nuts. All right, Rajet, you want to weigh in here? You're looking at the pardon of Michael Flynn and perhaps other people. And then we're going to get to this whole question of whether the president can pardon himself going out of office. I'm more interested in the uh, preemptive pardons, actually. And I did a little research on this. And it's interesting to me, like, for instance, when uh, President Gerald Ford uh, granted Richard Nixon a preemptive pardon, and then you had <clears throat> Jimmy Carter pardon um, over 200,000 Vietnam War draft dodgers preemptively. And then even uh, President George H.W. Bush uh, pardoned um, a couple of defense secretary and a CIA official. The question is, if uh, the President Trump does believe that he and his family or whomever, Rudy Giuliani or whatnot, are going to be charged with some type of crime uh, by New York, um, if he does have to take office, as we know, he can't be charged while he's president. A lot of people 
believe that's why he continues on with these lawsuits because he doesn't want to have to deal with possible charges after the fact. Is he going to do these preemptive pardons? Well, because um, I agree with Jeffrey. A lot of pe- a lot of presidents do uh, pardon at the end of their presidencies. But the question is, to me, if you preemptively pardon someone, then to me, that's pretty much an admittance that a crime took place. Hmm. Well, let's bring in the expert here. Michael, when you, you're hearing this about the pardon, first of all, the first pardon of Michael Flynn, we, we, I don't think we can contest that he has the right to do this. But when we're looking at other issues, like pardoning himself, is it, are we getting into gray areas there? Yes, that's the, uh, that is an uncertain area of law. The uh, now state governors who also have pardon powers have on occasion pardoned themselves, although not without controversy. So there's always been some uh, some question about that, even on the state level. The 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 uncertainty comes from a couple of different factors. Number one, it's never happened before. We've never had a president who's tried to pardon himself. And number two, we get the pardon power from England. It was a power that was exercised by the English crown. But because the king of England didn't rotate out of office, we never had this kind of situation where the king would pardon himself. The king was always the sovereign and wasn't going to be prosecuted anyway. So the question never arose. So we don't have a clear answer to the question whether the president can can self pardon. I think it is pretty clear that the president can pardon his close advisors. The president can pardon his family members. The president can pardon people who have not been indicted yet. Uh, the only requirement is that the uh, the president can't pardon for some kind of future crime. We can't kind of preemptively authorize a, a breaking of the law in the future. Um, but as you say, you're entirely correct that the, the whether the president can pardon himself is an unresolved issue so far. Well, I want, to come, I want to come back to you, too, to talk about the preemptive, but then I want to go to Jeffrey and the Rajat to really talk about what kind of message this sends to the American people if a president is seen to be pardoning just his friends. You don't have a problem with that, Jeffrey? Any president, not just this president, any president. He seems as Rajat has very uh, smartly demonstrated, presidents do this, and I don't think you're going to get this to stop. Uh, I would suggest, with a tinge of amusement here, that what President Cheech should do, President Trump should do two things. One, uh, appoint a special prosecutor to investigate the Bidens, and then two, pardon President Biden, President-elect Biden, as it were, on his way out the door, so that uh, whatever the special prosecutor finds, he can't be uh, uh, thrown out of office for. Bridget? You want it? <laughs> Is that your bipartisan <laughs> unity exactly <laughs> suggestion? Exactly. I mean, well, no. That's, what's been, that's what's been done, uh, not in that kind of form, but we don't tend to prosecute the administration that's leaving office. It's right. uh, it's another one of these sort of norms of the American political process that the 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 way things work here and that that distinguish us from the the societies that we disparage as banana republics is that that we don't have some kind of violent revolution and then they'll lock up the people that we've thrown out of office right that 
it's not our tradition to say, well, I won the election, so you go to jail or you get executed or something. That uh, Now, what there is, a whole bunch of fighting about who's to blame for this. Is, it, is, is Trump the one who's arms or is he responding to politically motivated attacks on him that wouldn't have been brought in past administrations? And there's, uh, the, both of those kinds of arguments can be made. Um, but it, it is not good for the country to have a tradition of uh, or to, to institute a policy uh, that we're going to investigate and try to prosecute the, the political opponents that we've just beat at the polls. It wasn't good when there was uh, when there was attacks on, on a chance to lock up Hillary Clinton uh, when she uh, because of, of political differences, it's not going to be good if people want to lock up Trump for political differences. Rosette, I'm assuming you agree with that, or do you see some other issues? I mean, some people, I, I'm hearing people saying that, no, if someone has done something so egregiously wrong, that they should be prosecuted, whether they're the president or, the, or not. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts? It may not be good for the country, but there's been nothing traditional about the past four years or the current election that we're still in the middle of right now. Um, I I would be shocked if charges weren't brought forth. Um, really, you would be shocked if they weren't brought forth. If they weren't brought forth after mm-hmm. January twentieth, if things stay the way they are, and Joe Biden's the next president, I do think, if not Trump himself, but people who he were associated with him and did things for him, like Rudy Giuliani, might have to face charges. That would surprise me if that did not happen. For what? Um, that's why I think we hear. These, um, they're, uh, unfortunately, they didn't name any names, but as we all know, it's been in the news that the Justice Department is is investigating some type of bribery uh, for pardon uh, situation. Um, but there isn't a lot of information on that as far as names and whatnot right now. Um, but I think this is going to get very serious uh, very fast. Wow. Now, the pardon situation as a whole, I believe, is unfair, whether it's a state or federal level. There's a lot of people who make mistakes when they're 18, 19, 20 and are still suffering for it 40 years later and can't get pardoned. And then we do have presidents or what our governors pardoning their friends and their family and whatnot. Um, but that's something that happens on both sides. So I'm not going to blame one political party over another with that because we see that on both sides. I think the pardoning process as a whole needs to be revamped. Well, uh, that's my personal opinion, uh, because I don't think it's fair on how they are given out well, this, on a state or federal level. This leads to another question that I, that I have, and that I'm you know, thinking we should ponder here. And that is, are we at a point, uh, and Michael, I'll let you start with this. Are we at a point where we need to reconsider uh, the powers of the presidency? Um, are we at a point where, I mean, I, where we should just have a commission look at, do we really want one person to have this kind of power? especially when you have uh, no check from from Congress. Uh, Michael, is there any thought amongst people like you who really think about these things about that? I, I think that it's incumbent on America as a democracy to have a constant thought process about whether the powers of the various branches of government are appropriate. Now, the pardon power itself is one of the checks that the president has against the judiciary. And there are very few checks that that the other branches have against the judiciary. The idea is that when the president sees 
an injustice carried on that the president can act unilaterally to undo that injustice. Now, whether it's worked out quite that way is is a matter of reasonable debate. And I think that it's entirely pos- uh, possible that, that Rajet could be right, that the process could be improved and that the kind of, uh, uh, I guess, random nature of the pardon process does not inspire confidence. I think it's entirely possible that we could reform the system by going the entire opposite way and say that that we... Oh, I wanted to hear <laughs> but... a finding of guilt or prevent a finding of guilt for and and would naturally lead to questions of of favoritism or or injustice. Or we could just say that it's fine uh, that it's fine as it is that it's the uh, that yes, there's a bit of of random noise in the system, but that it's the the usual judicial process works works reasonably well, and that this process exists as a kind of safety valve for extreme cases. So basically, what you're saying is it's healthy for us to at some point reconsider all of these things. But I think right now, what I'm asking is, uh, Rajette, I don't know, are you hearing? And would you, uh, even the Democrats, be willing to look again at whether any president should be able to discuss pardoning himself or, or that kind of thing? Are you are you hearing any movement on people wanting to take another look at whether mm-hmm. president should have such power? Um, among your average voters, yes. Among you know the party, probably not, because remember, got, the power comes with whoever's in that office. So if you would take that power away from a Republican president, obviously it would have to be Correct. taken away also from a Democratic president as well. Correct. So I don't really see any type of change taking place because that's unfortunately what politics is about. It's about power. All right. So, Jeffrey, what are your thoughts? Do you think uh, we should re- take another look at this? No, no, I don't. I, look, presidents, no matter who they are, are held responsible for what they do good, bad, and indifferent. And if people don't like, I mean, Gerald Ford's pardon of Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, I mean, that became an issue when he ran for the presidency himself. As you recall, he was uh, the only president in American history who got the job through appointment, first as vice president, and then when Nixon resigned as president. Uh, He ran a good race against President Carter, then Governor Carter, former Governor Carter. Um, but he was defeated, and the, his pardoning of Nixon was one of the issues. So you're held politically accountable, and you should be. And, and if not political in the sense that, uh, like Bill Clinton, you're leaving office uh, on the way out when you do this, still in all, historically, you are held accountable. And, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, as the saying goes, the buck stops here, as Harry Truman used to say. And I just think that's it. Let him do it. Okay. All right. Well, as, 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 as an American looking at this, I tell you, I'm uneasy, but you know, we'll see where it goes. I'm just uneasy about where we are now. And, uh, you know, I don't have power in any one of these things, but I just look at this and I say, you know, do I really want a president to be able to, um, to get away with things? Let's say you don't have a, a reputable character person in office. Let's say you don't. Not saying we don't now, but let's say you don't. Let's say you really get a scoundrel in there. Let's say you really get someone who's corrupt and mean and and murderous. 
you don't want any checks on that. You don't want that to be able to clearly, you simply can't do this. Michael, That I guess we never envisioned having a real vile person in office, but isn't that possible? Quite the contrary. We That's what the framers focused on constantly. And right. if you read the Federalist Papers, it's all about, we cannot guarantee that every president is going to be a Washington. The problem is, the additional problem is, that we can't guarantee that anybody in any other position of power is going to be a good person and a person of high character either. So it, it, so much of this debate goes back to the, the prescience of the, of the founders. And Madison said uh, in the Federalist that we have to administer a government that is run by human beings to administer justice over human beings when recognizing that both groups are going to be flawed. And so we try to set up this system where we give the president a lot of power, but we do subject the president to checks on that power. We have the impeachment power as a check. We have the lawmaking power that laws have to be passed by Congress and the president can't just decree laws. We have judicial review as a check on the presidency and we have checks on the other branches too. The whole reason that we have that system is not because we assume that we're going to have governors in office who are going to be high quality people or are going to be the gods on earth, but because we assume that we're not. And we, we, we have flawed people who may be uh, pursuing their own ends and we have these, these checks on their power because we understand that human beings are going to need those checks because they're right. not going to be pursuing. Them. Yeah, but I guess where, where we are now is, at least in, in when I'm hearing, including the letters that I'm getting in op-eds and stuff, so I, you know, I get a lot of public comments, that people don't think the checks are enough anymore, that uh, whatever we've done has not secured the nation, and certainly has not secured the nation from where we are now with so many people doubting whether this country is really still still has a stable underpinning anymore. We don't trust the FBI. We don't trust the CIA. We don't trust the, I mean, all along, we don't trust our poll workers. We don't trust the poll watchers. We don't trust the judges. We Everything about where we are now in America is under question. And that, I think, is, is causing people, well, should we take a look at the whole system again? Throw the whole thing up and take another look. Maybe the founding fathers, didn't envision all of it. Well, uh, I think-, but I think a lot of that is misinformation too, as I mentioned earlier. As I think social media has made it worse yes. than what it is. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there on the extremes on both sides, and people believe, unfortunately, what's on their friends' Facebook page pages, whether it's right or wrong. Um, a lot of people don't even understand the checks and balance system, how it even works, let alone what the different levels of government even do. As you know, a lot of our schools, unfortunately, took civics out of the curriculum. Very true. So, you know, that's a problem that we have as well. I think think misinformation is a huge problem. You know, if you agree with that, but I'll I'll point out one additional point, that if you're going to say that this current system doesn't work, well, what are you going to replace it with? It doesn't help. You can't beat something with nothing. And if... If you think that there's a problem here, well, give me another system that'll work better. Uh, that's that's always been the, the difficult part. Okay. We've got two other issues we got to take up. But before we do, I do want you to comment, Michael, quickly on preemptive pardons. Is that something that's clear in the law? I suppose it depends on what you mean by preemptive pardons. So the, the 
it is clear that the the president can issue a pardon for uh, when there has not yet been a conviction, when there has not yet been a prosecution, when there hasn't yet even been an indictment. So you can preemptively pardon somebody for a crime that has not been prosecuted yet, but you cannot preemptively pardon someone for a crime that hasn't occurred yet. You can't say, I want you to go out and commit this federal crime, and so I'm issuing you this pardon today (laughs) so that you can do this crime next week and get away with it. You can't do that. And I think what people are looking at, the question is, for example, with Giuliani, if some are alleging he's done something wrong during this period, the president can say, I pardon you for what people think you may have done, even though you didn't really do anything. Yes. All right. Yeah, that, All that's right. what that's uh, the the Ford's pardon of Nixon, which was referenced earlier. It falls in that category that Ford pardoned Nixon for any offenses that he committed or may have committed against the United States, even though at that point he had not been indicted. And you're cool with that, Rajet, even if it were a Democratic president, you're cool with uh, them being able to do that. Jeffrey, you too. Yes, absolutely. And then then they answer to us or to history. And that's the way I want it. I want a president who pardons to be able to answer to Joyce Davis. No, you don't. I think it's a misuse. I think it's a misuse of the pardon system personally. I think it's a misuse. I acknowledge that it has happened, it can happen again, but I do think it's a misuse of it. And to me, and you're pretty much admitting you did something, because if not then, you know, go through the go through the process. At one time, uh, didn't Michael Flynn even say he didn't want to be pardoned because he wanted to actually be cleared? Uh, The charges that were brought against him are people thought, you know, that's another thing. Once you're pardoned, you really can't clear your name, too. Well, I do do see what what he's saying that in in politics, in this whole sphere, uh, people can be charged with things and it's not true. And so you want right. to clear it up. And so I get all of this, but I'll tell you, I and many Americans, I believe, are really concerned about what we're seeing about just letting people off the hook who may have done things that, that are not right. But again, let's move on because we, we can't, we won't solve it all. But the next issue, of course, is what's happening in Georgia and, uh, and, you know, again, all of this, I, I fear, Rajat and, and Jeffrey, are you at all concerned that all of this uncertainty about uh, the, the voting system and whether Trump is winning or losing or whatever, uh, are you concerned that's going to, you know, stymie the vote? It's going to really tap down people's desire and enthusiasm about getting out there? Jeffrey? Well, I, I, I think in the case of Georgia, there's two truths that are sort of simultaneous. One is their system, and frankly... As a Pennsylvanian, I don't want to be uh, pointing fingers because our system is pretty much of a mess here. The people who run the election system in these states ought to be drawn and quartered when all of this is over, and the mess needs to be fixed. But in the case of Georgia, uh, the president is going to be down there on Saturday, I believe. Uh, I think people on his side are so ripped up, revved up I don't think they're going to be discouraged from, uh, from this for voting. I think they'll turn out for these two senators. Now, whether it'll be enough, I don't know, but I... Yeah, the reason I asked is there was some uh, video of a, of a voter basically expressing what I just said, that if the system is rigged, why am I going to bother coming out? Right, right. It's a Republican I, voter, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand that, but I think the case will be successfully made that there's much more involved than just that. Um, 
that you know the, the Supreme Court, the control of the Senate, the whole no, nine yards. They, they, they did make that argument. That was the rebuttal, but it didn't satisfy. Right. Rochelle, are you at all concerned, even with the Democrats, that this could stymie uh, the vote? I'm always concerned about turnout, um, but not regarding the 2020 election. By you know, most Democrats, uh, this this election is over. Uh, Joe Biden has won the presidency. Uh, we do have control of the House, even though it's a smaller number of control. And the, we also want control of the U.S. Senate. Um, so we need to put, in my opinion, this distraction aside and campaign for our two candidates that we get them both in because we need both to win to keep control uh, while well, to get control of the U.S. Senate. And turnout is going to be lower on both sides. You know, it's hard enough to get people out on one day, let alone a special election. Right. And then this is early January. At least it's in the South, so they don't have to worry about snowstorms. Like we Maybe you never know. But. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, but, you know, this distraction needs to be put to the side so we can get control of the U.S. Senate. Well, it's clear. You already see the money, the money that's going into these races alone. Uh, we haven't even... We never get a chance to talk about the money in these races, but you know, a lot of people are concerned about that as well. well I mean, we, five million. I see the the uh, is the figure that the Republicans are putting in, right, Jeffrey? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot on both sides. One of the things that I do think parties have to be careful with, particularly Democrats. I think this played a role in the Beto O'Rourke Ted Cruz race, and I think it played a role in this South Carolina race against Lindsey Graham. When you get all sorts of Hollywood people uh, tossing millions into a race for a candidate, voters in places like Texas or South Carolina really resent that. You know, it's it's their senator they're voting on. And for the, one of their nominees, a, a Democrat usually, to be embraced by Hollywood and all of they throw all their resources and come campaign for him, treat him like a celebrity, put him on the cover of Vanity Fair. I think that backfires. And you got a lot of Texans and South Carolinians saying, hey, this is my state, my senatorial vote, buzz out of here. <laughs> Frankly, I think what may be backfiring is all the nastiness that those people are being subjected to over these months. I mean, from, from what I'm hearing, people are just tired of being in the middle of this nasty political battle, back and forth, climbing stuff. And nobody wants to live like that, especially around the Christmas holidays. But, Michael, you want to weigh in on this? And as you're looking at Georgia, are you concerned at all about anything election-wise there? Well, I, I'm rather pleased in some way that people are still paying attention to politics. That's why our viewership for this program is so high. That That's true. Exactly. People are paying attention, but I will tell you, there's a, there is an exhaustion factor going on here. People are tired of this, and especially of the nature. I think, I could be wrong. You disagree with me. I think people would like a little more niceness, a little more civility, um, and a little more just arguing the facts is what I think we've been trying to do here as opposed to attacking personalities and people. Uh, but I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I don't mind being wrong. But let, let's move on and, and talk about one final, final, final thing. What's going on with uh, people still not willing to wear masks? Jeffrey, the, the, what is it? Uh, apparently, go ahead. The, the, the event in Gettysburg where one of our legislators came and apparently may have had COVID, wasn't wearing a mask. Are you worried about that at all? No, I'm not worried about it. I think, frankly, this has been politicized terribly because, I mean, I literally saw comments to this 
that yep. people didn't care when there were no when 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 there were no social distancing at uh, the the Black Lives Matters marches or the, after Joe Biden was declared the winner, all of these people, the Washington Post wrote them up how they were all in the streets and they, and they used the words flocking together, dancing, <laughs> uh, laughing, etc. And they showed the the pictures of it. They had some video. Zero social distancing. So Jeffrey, I, know, I, I, I hear think that. It's just gets I'm, on your side. I'm on your side. I think everybody knows it, but I'm talking about leaders. I'm talking about leaders in our community, political leaders. Shouldn't they take this seriously, protect other people, not if, especially if they know they have a, a, a disease? I mean, Roget, you want to weigh in? I'm, I, this has been an issue from the very beginning. Um, with uh, certain political leaders not wearing a mask, leading by example. Um, I don't see it changing, um, but one positive is the vaccine is supposed to start going out December 15th to healthcare workers and to the nursing uh, residents in nursing homes. So I just hope and pray that this vaccine is, is, does work because it's still early and it, it begins the end, the end of this. Well, I think um, Great Britain is ahead of us. I think today I just saw an announcement they're starting to distribute their vaccine, although some people are worried about that. But the but the vaccine will certainly help help uh, change this. But Michael, I guess I'll give you uh, uh, one uh, last word here. Some people are worried. I mean, we're seeing that there could be losses and liability related to COVID nineteen, especially. Perhaps I wonder someone not wearing a mask and exposing others to it. Are you seeing any development in the law on that? In that? I know that's not your specialty, but I, I wonder if you're hearing any thoughts about that. That's been one of the contentious parts of the, the uh, COVID relief legislation packages is whether there should be a, a provision in there to immunize businesses and perhaps others uh, who may be accused of, of having an environment where the virus has spread. And that's been a rather... A contentious part of the negotiations between the Republicans who say the only way to open businesses, to open the economy, get things moving again, is to make sure that these businesses aren't afraid of being sued. Whereas the other side says, well, opening the economy and not letting people be sued means that you're going to have a, a dangerous situation that's not going to be able to provide compensation for people who might be injured as a result. Um, so, so far, we haven't been able to uh, get anything through, so we don't have a an answer one way or the other. So it's still being discussed and debated. So that that's an emerging area of law, and I, I I'd be interested to see. Jeffrey, you wanted to say something? No, it's just I I, I thought that pretty much had gone gone away. Uh, no. You know, if you don't want to be out there, don't go out there. <laughs> no, it's it's not that some people have to go out there, and I think the the idea that they, they, they wear a mask. But not only that, what if someone else doesn't and they expose you knowingly? That's the question. I mean, that's what's come up with HIV AIDS and all of that, too. But what's the choice, that kind of thing, that kind of thing is everywhere in society long before COVID. I yeah, mean, if, 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 somebody, if, if somebody is not the best driver in the world and they cause an accident, I mean, this kind of stuff happens every day. There's a thousand and one circumstances. Yeah, but, Je but Jeffrey, there's a legal remedy. If someone is drinking, driving, and I and they kill me, I, my family can go back and, and sue them. And that. So the question is, should there be legal remedies if someone? I don't think so. Knows they have coronavirus, goes into an event, spreads it around. Should they be liable for something? You'd have to know that they did it. 
Well, well, yeah, you would have to prove that they knew that they were infected and they were purposely right. spreading. And that would be very difficult. But it's I easy to prove if someone is intoxicated driving a car. What I think is important is that we finally are back to negotiations as far as getting a second stimulus package. That has been reported on. Um, now, obviously, both sides have different ideas of what they want in that package. But I think regardless of, of the vaccine going on the 15th, we're still a while back before everything is opened up completely. So we are going to need a second stimulus package to help American workers and to help uh, businesses. So I hope that, you know, we finally have, they finally sit down and do their job and this can get done hopefully by the end of the year. Because this shouldn't be who gets the points for it. Should Trump get it? Should the Democrats get it? This should be about the American people right. and what they need. So I'm hoping that we finally get a second package through. To help yeah, but, but there is concern about, but, I mean, among some Republicans about the cost of that and what that is likely to do to the economy, right, Jeffrey? I mean, it's not just, there isn't just unlimited money to throw at everyone, right? No, that, that's right. That's right. But I do think in the spirit of the season that there will be some effort made to get this resolved, which leads me, Joyce, to my right, to the final thought because we're at call, closing in on our time now. My closing thought is a question. Okay. That we can debate in coming weeks. Will Santa get COVID if he comes down the chimney? Oh, <laughs> oh my Lord. All right. And Michael, will Santa be sued if he spreads COVID? <laughs> and should Rudolph wear a mask? As long as those kids are in their bed, they're going to be more than six feet away from him at the time. Exactly. 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 Responsibility. Well, look, you guys have been good sports. I appreciate your coming here and sharing, especially you, Michael. We called you at the last minute, but you, you jumped to participate and you brought, I think, some very good insights for us. So thank you. And of course, thanks to Jeffrey Lord, our Republican analyst, and Rajette Harris, our up and coming uh, leader in politics. And she is now a leader in politics. So with with that, I want to thank our respectful audience who asked questions that uh, helped spur our thinking and our conversation. So stay tuned. We will be back here next week with another Battleground PA on Facebook Live. Enjoy the rest of your day, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.